In your earthly journey, have you experienced a life-changing moment? A moment where your world was turned upside down? Or maybe right side up? Perhaps it was a crisis where you experienced great loss, great emotional devastation, where the very foundation of your life crumbled underneath you. Perhaps it was a mountaintop experience where um, you had a profound revelation and a euphoric joy. But whatever it was, that moment changed your life. Well, if you have, I want you to keep that moment in mind today as we explore God's Word. If not, I want to invite you to listen even more carefully, for today may bring a life-defining moment for you. It might be a moment where everything changes where you experience a course alteration that transforms your life forever. The story we're exploring today from the Bible, and Jordan just read for us, is an account of an event that became a life-defining moment for three men. Their names, Peter, James, and John. You know, Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. Same three guys, different story though, different place. In Matthew 17.1, we learn that Jesus took these three disciples up to a mountain. The Bible doesn't tell us which mountain, but from the preceding chapter, it would appear that the mountain was somewhere in the vicinity of Caesarea Philippi, which is 40 kilometers north of the Sea of Galilee in the far northern reaches of the Golan Heights. It's likely that Jesus brought his three friends up to the mountain to pray. The scripture doesn't tell us that for sure, but it's very likely. The Bible does tell us that Jesus frequently took time to pray, sometimes alone and sometimes with his friends. It was interesting to me, or it is interesting to me, to note that the same three followers, Peter, James, and John, were with Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his betrayal and the night of his arrest. Well, as Peter, James, and John were on the mountain, three most unusual and spectacular things happened. The result was that Peter, James, and John experienced a life-defining moment. So what happened? And I just need a drink of water first. I'm really dry today. So what happened? Well, first of all, Jesus became luminescent. He started glowing. The Bible tells us in verse 2 that his face became as bright as the sun and his garments as white as light. The sight surely must have dumbfounded the disciples. But as they were trying to wrap their heads around what they were seeing, a second thing happened. Two prominent and significant Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah, suddenly appeared and were conversing with Jesus. 
The Bible doesn't tell us how the disciples knew that it was Moses and Elijah, whether Jesus called them by name or whether the disciples were provided this knowledge supernaturally. What we do know for sure is that Peter pipes up while his knees are knocking together nearly nearly 90 miles an hour and says, uh, Oh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Uh, If you want, uh, I'll set up three shelters uh, here. One for you, uh, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But before Peter could completely get the words out of his mouth, verse 5 tells us that the third unusual and spectacular event occurred. This one took the cake. A bright cloud enveloped the entire scene on the mountain, and a voice spoke out of the cloud. In verse 5, we read that the voice said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Well, if the earlier happenings had caused the disciples to wonder if they were hallucinating, the cloud and the voice from the cloud caused them to totally flip their wigs. They became basket cases. Verse 6 tells us that they fell face down, planted their faces in the dirt. It also tells us that they were terrified. But Jesus comes to their rescue. The next thing they know, Jesus is tapping them on the shoulder and saying, guys, guys, don't be afraid. When they heard Jesus' voice and they felt his touch, they opened their eyes and everything was back to normal. I don't know about you, but I I, I, I would have been, I would definitely been in shock, uh, probably couldn't have said anything. There was no, no longer any cloud, there was no longer any Moses, no Elijah, no glowing clothes or body, just the same Jesus with whom they had ascended the mountain. Well, what was happening on the mountain and why? What was happening and why? In each of these three phenomena, Three phenomena, Jesus' dazzling luminescence, the appearance of Moses and Elijah, and the cloud and the voice from the cloud, God was revealing something to Peter, James, and John. God was revealing that Jesus is no ordinary man. By the way, if, you're, if you have notes, there should be the word no in there before the word ordinary. That was a typo. Jesus is no ordinary man. He's not just a great moral teacher. This teacher and friend of theirs was and is divine. Jesus is the Son of God. Well, how do we see this revelation of Jesus' identity in each of these three phenomena? Well, when Jesus began to glow... The disciples were being given a revelation of his glory that existed before he came to earth as a human. It's the glory that John 17, 5 tells us that Jesus shared with God the Father before the world existed. It's the glory of the one who created all things in heaven and in earth. We, we like to think of God the Father as the creator, but uh, Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus Uh, participated directly in creation. It would make sense because as the Father spoke, who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. Well, the disciples were also being given a revelation of Jesus' post-resurrection glory, a glory described in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 to 17, as Jesus possessing eyes like flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze that's been heated in a furnace until it glows, and a face, again, that shines as bright 
as the Son. Jesus' identity as the divine Son of God was not only being disclosed through his brilliant luminescence, demonstrating his eternal glory, it was also disclosed through the two visitors, Moses and Elijah, who appeared and were conversing with him. Well, what was the significance of their presence? The presence of Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets as witnesses to Jesus the Messiah. Their presence points to the fact that Jesus is the one whom the law and the prophets foretold would come as God's Messiah. Moses was and still remains, hands down, the most revered figure in Israelite history because God chose him to give, chose to give the law to him. He was considered the model prophet who was a prototype of the Messiah. We learned that in Deuteronomy 18, 18. Elijah, on the other hand, had been one of the most prominent prophets in Israel's history and was considered a forerunner of the Messiah. The similarities between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are numerous. This is really interesting. I don't know if you've thought about this. Both Moses and Elijah had visions of God, of the glory of God, where? On a mountain. For Moses, it was at Mount Sinai. For Elijah, it was on Mount Horeb. Both Moses and Elijah had unique endings. Elijah was taken directly to heaven in a flaming chariot, while Moses whom God buried and whose grave was never found, according to Deuteronomy 34.6, is said by rabbinic tradition to have also been taken directly to heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but that's what Jewish rabbis have taught for centuries. Both are mentioned together in Malachi 4, 4-6, the giving of the law through God's servant Moses and the sending of the prophet Elijah before the coming of the day of the Lord. Their presence with Jesus signals that the law and the prophets and the prophecies of the Messiah contained in both were soon to be completely filled in the person of Jesus. But just in case the disciples weren't cluing into Jesus' identity as the divine Son of God through his dazzling luminescence or the presence of Moses and Elijah, a third happening occurs. A bright cloud envelops the scene and the disciples hear a declaration. The bright cloud reminds us of the way God appeared at different times in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, when they started to leave Egypt? What was one of the ways that God guided them? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud or a, a, a pillar of fire by night. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire contained God's glory. His presence was there as he led his people. There was also a cloud that appeared when Moses ascended Mount Sinai, when God gave the law. There was a cloud of God's glory that filled the tabernacle when they got it ready according to the specifications that God had recommended. And the glory of God came in a cloud that filled Solomon's temple when the temple was dedicated. In fact, The Bible says that the cloud containing God's glory was so strong in the temple at its dedication that the priests could not physically stand to go about their duties. They were flat on their faces, just like Peter, James, and John. Then, from out of the cloud, as they're there on the mountain, a voice booms. Any doubt of Jesus' identity is now removed as the disciples hear words almost identical to those spoken by God the Father at Jesus' baptism. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
we need to answer an important question. Why did God choose to reveal Jesus' identity in such a sensational fashion to his disciples? Why now? Why so dramatically? Well, the answer, I believe, is really quite straightforward. It's because of the road that lie ahead. It was a road that would lead to betrayal and suffering. It was a road that would lead to the cross. It was a road that would lead to Jesus' death. A road that would lead to the death of the disciples' hope that Jesus was the Messiah who would restore the glory of Israel and set their people free from oppression. Well, in the events that immediately preceded this passage, Peter had confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus had said, who who do people say that I am? They, They mentioned several things. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus acknowledged the accuracy of Peter's confession. But Jesus did something else. In that same passage, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, we read that Jesus started telling the disciples that he would be killed in Jerusalem, and then he would rise from the dead. Three days later, the disciples' world would soon be turned upside down. How would they respond to the events that would lie ahead? And how they would respond would either make or break them, and it would make or break Christianity as a movement. God knew that great spiritual peril was lying in wait for them. They were going to be tempted to jettison their faith God knew they needed an experience that would anchor their faith through the emotional turmoil, pain, and loss they were going to encounter. So God the Father chose to reveal to, to chose to reveal to them Jesus' true identity through a most remarkable event. God chose to create for them a life-defining moment. Well, How do we know? How can we know it was really life-defining? Hang with me here. Close to the end of his life and in his second letter, Peter makes clear the profound impact that this event, this event on the mountain, what we call the transfiguration, had upon him. In 2 Peter 1, verses 16 to 18, listen to this. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received glory, honor, and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is saying, Hey guys, we didn't just make up some fairy tales when we told you about Jesus. We saw his glory with our own eyes. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty when it was revealed on the mountain. And with our own ears, we heard God declare that Jesus is his beloved son. You say, but Kent, didn't Peter and the other disciples still struggle to maintain faith after the transfiguration? Yes, they did. Even after the transfiguration, the disciples failed to fully grasp what Jesus was saying to them about his death and the kind of Messiah that he came to be. 
In fact, in verses 9 to 13 that Jordan read earlier, same passage, we see the disciples conversing with Jesus all the way down the mountainside about different events spoken of in the Old Testament, events such as the coming of Elijah that were to be connected with the Messiah's arrival. And they were saying, Lord, we don't, we don't get it. Uh, you know, what's, you know, how does all this fit together and everything? But it's obvious from his statement in 2 Peter that what Peter saw and heard on the mountain that day was an anchoring event that became a defining moment in his faith for the remainder of his life. Let me ask you a question. Have you experienced an anchoring event in your faith journey with God? Have you experienced Jesus in such a manner that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God's Son and that you've submitted yourself to worship, follow, and obey Him? You see, you can't acknowledge that Jesus is God's Son and not respond in obedience. The voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased Listen to Him. The absolutely clear implication of this command, listen to Him, is that listening to Jesus includes obeying Him. If Jesus is indeed God's Son, His position of absolute authority demands your and my total submission and obedience. Some of you, if you are really honest, would answer that question have you experienced an anchoring event in your spiritual journey with a no or a I'm not sure. You'd likely say, uh, I've not experienced a moment where I clearly saw that Jesus is God's Son and where I responded to Him in faith. If that's your response this morning, God is offering you today a revelation of Jesus' true identity. You say, Kent, how, how could that be? Jesus is no longer here in the flesh like He was with Peter, James, and John. How could I see His radiance? How could I hear God's voice declaring that Jesus truly is divine and worthy of all of my trust? Worthy of surrendering completely to His control? The answer? You must see Him by faith. God wants you to experience an anchoring event and it's accessed by faith. The Spirit of God prompted Matthew and Peter to record their stories for your benefit and for my benefit. To make it possible for you and me to be on the mountain that day and along with them to see Jesus' glory. They saw His glory with their physical eyes. You and I can see Jesus' glory with our spiritual eyes. After Jesus rose from the dead, one of His disciples, Thomas, who had not yet seen Him, was struggling to believe that Jesus was really alive and that He truly was and is God's Messiah when Thomas finally saw the risen Savior, he believed. And do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me with physical eyes. Blessed are those who have not seen with physical eyes my glory and, my, and, 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 and who I am after I've been resur- resurrected. Blessed are those who have, have chosen to believe with eyes of faith. Jesus was saying to Thomas and to all those who would ever read his words, You don't have to see me with physical eyes to believe. Through the witness of those who did see me, I, Jesus, will enable you to believe that I am the Son of God. I will give you faith to believe and trust the testimony of those who did see me. Today, God the Father is opening your spiritual eyes to see Jesus, to see that Jesus is indeed the divine Son of God. He's calling you to faith, to an anchoring event that, beca- that can become a life-defining moment. Will you respond by choosing to believe in Him? In a few moments after we close the service, you'll have an opportunity to put down a spiritual anchor by coming forward and talking and praying with uh, our prayer team members who will be here at the front. I encourage you to, to let, encourage you to let today become a life-defining moment in your life. Some of you here have experienced a spiritual anchoring event, maybe several of them, but None of us are out of the woods just yet. Life is filled with blessings, joys, and happiness like we experienced on Friday night at the kids' night out, parents' night off. We laughed. We had so much fun uh, with the kids. But life is also filled with challenges, trials, and brokenness. God is preparing you today for the dangers that lie ahead. In a very real sense, God is revealing His Son to you today afresh and anew. He's reminding you that Jesus is no ordinary human being. He's the Son of the living God. He has the power to sustain you through the deepest, darkest canyons that your, that your path may travel in the days ahead. Like He did on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, He's revealing His glory to you today, anew and afresh. He's reminding you of that anchoring event or events in your past that helped to solidify your faith. He's tapping you on the shoulder. He's calling you by name and saying, don't be afraid. I am with you. I will see you through whatever lies ahead. Peter, James, and John experienced that sometimes seeing is believing. Whether you are yet to experience an anchoring event, or God is renewing the power of a previous anchoring event or events in your life, Today can be a life-defining moment. 
like the disciples, you too can see through eyes of faith. Will you? Let's pray. Just in the quietness, just allow the whole, let's allow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to speak personally into our lives right now. Let's listen to what He's saying to us and have a heart that is open and responsive toward Him. Heavenly Father, thank You that because of the testimony of Matthew and the other Gospel writers and because of the testimony of Peter, that though we weren't there just over 2,000 years ago, that we can still be on the mountain. Through their testimony and through eyes of faith, we too can say along with Peter, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus, I thank You that just as You cared so deeply for the disciples, You knew what what lie ahead for them. And You came and You gave them what they needed. You gave them an anchoring event that they could look back to. And that event was life-defining. It changed their lives for forever. God, I thank you today that you're still in the business of giving us anchoring events when we will open our heart to you, when we will choose to believe, when we will choose to express faith. And I pray that wherever we're at today, Lord, in our spiritual journey, that we would take another step, even a leap towards you, Jesus, that we would choose, along with Peter, James, and John, to bow our hearts before you and to confess, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God. And that we would choose to worship, to submit, and to respond to you in obedience. So, Father, help each one of us to take that step. Thank you that just as you touched the disciples and you said, Guys, don't be afraid that you say that to us today. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter what may lie ahead, that you have promised to walk with us, to never forsake us. So, Father, thank you that even today you've been opening our eyes. For some of us, you're opening our eyes for the very first time. And we can really say, I, I, I used to be blind, but... Now I can see. For others of us, you're renewing our sight. You're renewing our faith. You're renewing our understanding that you have everything that we need, Jesus. 
So Lord, let the fullness of your work be done in us, your people, as we worship you. As we continue in an attitude of worship and prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand and to sing with me.